Hi there and welcome to the Pondering Dam podcast, where we talk all things teaching, education, pedagogy and technology. I'm your host, Danny Summerall, and if you're new to the show, make sure you leave a review and share with your peers. Connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and YouTube at Pondering Dan, as well as at PonderingDan.com. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Jody Antarana, Founder and Executive Director for Read for Life Uganda. Jodie has two bachelors in the field of education and has just completed her master's in international education. Jodie has taught infant classes in London, working as a primary school teacher, as well as teaching P1 to P7 in Gulu, Uganda, and teaching Year 6 children in Sydney, Australia. She founded Read for Life Uganda after seeing a dire need for explicit phonics instruction while teaching at Leibi Teko Primary School. You can find out more by visiting readforlifeug.org or finding them on Facebook. Welcome, Jody. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to be speaking with you today, not only because I'm keen to learn more about Read for Life Uganda, but because we've known each other for over 30 years and it's been a really long time since we've been able to catch up. It certainly has. Over 30 years. We're sounding really old now, aren't we? I know, I know. We're <laughs> young at heart and that's what matters, well, yeah, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So just to get us started, can you talk a bit about uh, how you ended up in Uganda? Sure, sure. Uh, I was living in London. So I am Australian, but I lived in London like all Aussies like to do on your working holiday. Mm-hmm. And whilst in London, I did attend a church and one of the pastors had a charity in northern Uganda. So we came out a few times to visit and help out. And at that particular time, I was a journalist, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. But I, I saw a, a pretty big need for education so I decided to do my, my bachelor in education to come out in Uganda later. So I studied it in the UK, taught for a couple of years, and then came out in Uganda about eight years ago to work and focus on education, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, excellent. And I could still hear the Australian accent. So, <laughs> you know, it's good to know that it's still there. <laughs> it's still there. Maybe softened, but it's definitely still there. Yeah. <laughs> so what... Um, what do you do with Read for Life Uganda and what sort of work's involved? Sure. So with Read for Life, we focus on teacher training. We have about seven Ugandan trainers at the moment we have employed and there's one bookkeeper and monitoring and evaluation officer. And currently in Uganda, the level of literacy and reading and writing is really terrible. Um, it's quite low. So if there's teachers listening that know little bits about like fluency and words per minute um, with reading, I think mm. in the UK, I'm not sure about Australia, but in the UK, I think year two might read about 100 to 150 words per minute for six to seven year olds. But in Uganda, uh, P3, which is probably more your eight to nine year olds, nationally read about five words per minute, oh, sorry, 15 words per minute. But mm. in the north, in Gulu, it's three words per minute. So children are finishing school, they're going all through the end of primary school and they, they can't read and write very well by the end. And most children are failing. Yeah. 
Okay. So I, yeah, I just wanted to start up this organization to help train teachers in more effective ways of teaching reading and writing. So yeah. I've written a phonics program, which sounds a bit yeah. crazy. Which is amazing, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it is great, actually. <laughs> so I've, I've taken ideas from other phonics programs internationally that have worked quite well and written it locally for uh, the local culture. So we've recorded our own songs in a local recording studio yeah. in northern Uganda. Um, wow. So things about like goats and jerry cans um, and rats and huts, uh, just to reflect the local culture. And then we've written it and designed like teacher's manuals and things so it can be taught to a class of 100 children or 150 children with just a chalkboard and very minimal resources. Uh, wow. So that's what we focus on. So that's how many children you you would normally have in a classroom over there? Yeah, the average class would be about 100. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's that's a huge number of children to be teaching at one time, isn't it? Definitely. It can even get to about 150 or 180 children, but 100 would be the average in your government schools. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So are these children already speaking English quite well, even though their reading level is very low? That's a really good question. So it's funny that English is the national language and it's the academic language. So you do all your exams in English at school and at the end of primary school, but definitely a mother tongue is the dominant language. Okay. Uh, I went up here, it's Lua or Choli. There's about 56 um, different native languages in Uganda and it's still quite a small country. So you yeah. can just go to the next district and there'll be a different mother tongue. So children are not confident in their English speaking, um, but we're certainly trying to work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Mm. So when I was having a look at your website, I read that um, you actually sort of discovered this need when you were working at Liebe Teco Primary School. I've probably said that wrong. but No, you said it pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, so what was it that that really sparked that desire to start read for life uh so i i volunteered first in a government primary school when i first came out here and it was probably the the most rewarding and the most challenging and hardest time of my <laughs> teaching i've ever had uh, i was teaching p6 and p7 which is around grade five and six okay english uh i was following the national curriculum which there was a very strong emphasis on grammar sentence structure, vocabulary, and a little bit of comprehension. But I, I had actually came from teaching year two in, in London uh, in quite a multicultural area. So a lot of my year twos uh, spoke English as a second language. But okay. I found here in, in Gulu in Uganda, when I was trying to prepare the children for the end of year exams, it was, it was almost impossible because they couldn't read and write very well. Mm. And I just, I had this big battle within myself on how can we teach grammar at a high level and talk about sentence structure when they're struggling to read a simple sentence. Of course. So then I, I got my very corny UK flashcards out <laughs> and, and started teaching phonics um, and just and doing remedial lessons. Uh, and it, it was working. And I, yeah. I think sometimes it, it possibly works even better in Uganda because um, you don't need a lot of resources and so they're quite used to that like singing songs to teach them repeating after the teacher to consolidate like the pronunciation of the sounds and it was a formula that that worked quite quickly so there was some good success 
from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that was the start of the journey. It was yeah. a hard journey um, <laughs> teaching in a government primary school, corporal punishment and lots of other issues that were a, a big battle. Yeah. Um, saying no to that. Uh, but in the end, I think that's what, that's what started it all off really. Yeah. Seeing, okay. um, seeing children learn to read that couldn't read. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's some really, really good work um, that you're doing. And um, I'm just curious, like just backtracking a little bit to when you've developed the program to, to mm-hmm. reflect the local culture, how many schools do you think are, are sort of using the resources that you've created? Yeah, it's a good question. In Gulu, we're working with about 130 nursery and primary schools just in our area. Um, we have some speed schools, they're called like catch-up schools, and there's 300 classes of those that we're working with using wow. our program. And around the country and other districts, we still probably have another 50 schools using our program in, dis- in other dis- districts that travel to learn, and yeah, yeah which is great. That, that's really great. It's a, a massive impact then. That, that would be, you know, if there's 100, 100 students in each class, that's, over, that's thousands of kids really that you're touching with yeah. the work that you're doing. Yeah. So, yeah. Why, so why is this sort of work so important in Uganda or any other developing country? I think in Uganda, as well as you're right, other developing countries, there is a, there's a lot of money being poured into education. Um, and lots of NGOs would say, like, why isn't education improving? Because it's not really improving on a national level. Uh, but I think recently, most of the money has gone towards access of education rather improving the quality of education. Okay. So you would, have, um, you would have millions and millions of dollars being poured in to build schools and toilets, like classroom blocks, but the quality of the education isn't improving. Okay. It's, and it's, it's actually quite easy to build a classroom. Like anybody can come and help build a classroom and raise money for a classroom. But it, it takes a lot to improve the quality of what's happening inside the classroom. Yeah. And that was reflected in the original like Millennium Development Goals was improving, ac- improving education. It was originally broken down to access rather than quality. There is an international trend now on trying to improve quality, but that's, it's very, very difficult to do because mm. it, takes, uh, it takes a lot of investment and you can't do it remotely. You need to have people on the ground and it's a very, very slow journey. So I feel it's extremely important, definitely for Uganda, to just to try to improve that quality of education um, and our exams here, they're very theory-based at primary level. Like even okay. science, at the end of primary, like there's no science experiments. It's, it sounds like quite a weird thing really, um, <laughs> but there's nothing practical that happens in primary school in science. It's very much like learning about the body and the environment and almost writing like short word answers for everything mm. throughout the year. But if you can't read and write, you can't access that paper. Same with social studies, uh, it's the same. So reading and writing becomes a very big barrier to the rest of education and learning. Uh, Yeah, so that's why I think it's particularly important for Uganda, Um, as well as I I think other developing countries. And I think a lot of the trend internationally has been to focus on access rather than quality. And it's good to see the um, quality becoming high on the agenda recently. Yeah, and I guess that's why you're on the ground there in Uganda, because 
that's your passion is to improve that quality of the education. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you've already touched on a little bit of the differences um, between teaching in Uganda compared to other countries such as the UK and Australia. What, mm-hmm. apart from class sizes, what would you say the biggest differences? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say definitely um, rote learning and memorization in Uganda is the yeah. It's very teacher led, teacher direct instruction. And would be like repeat after me. So the way that topics and vocabulary would be ta- taught is you stand up the front and you, it's almost like a lecture style, even in primary okay. school or P1. And then the class would repeat after you like a parrot fashion, back and forward, back and forward. You wouldn't really see group learning, children working in groups or children discussing each other. There's not a lot of like critical thinking or analyzing um, very much like um, lower, lower level thinking questions. Um, yeah. But definitely rote learning and memorization is the main method okay. of do you learning, think, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that'll change anytime soon or do you think it's still a very long way off? I mean, to me, it sounds like it might be a long way off, but <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's definitely a long way off and curriculum change is possibly the biggest way that that could be improved and, and changing a national curriculum as you know is yeah. a is an enormous process yeah, yeah. Huge. But i think small steps um yeah. to working on that and obviously yeah. corporal punishment is still happening here um yeah, it, is, a- it is illegal <laughs> oh, okay and yeah it's quite interesting and so it's illegal and the law is there to enforce it However, on the ground, it, it still happens every day. Yeah. Um, I've seen children get stitches from being hit over the head with like meter rulers. Um, children wow. go to hospital. I've seen like teachers bribe, like head teachers bribe the family not to go to the police by giving them sugar and bottles of soda. And yeah, it's, it's still happening a lot. So wow. there's a very much a fear and a shame culture. So children would not like their fear of getting things wrong or getting beaten if they get things wrong, which makes yeah. it a very difficult learning environment sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's hard yeah. to imagine that that sort of stuff is still happening around the world. I mean, yeah, I think <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember maybe when I was in kindergarten or grade one, um, mm-hmm. there was children still getting the cane and that was like, what's that? 1985, 86 when we were in those grades. But I think that was sort of when it stopped in Australia. I think yes. I'd have to check that, but yeah. I think some private schools had it in Australia, maybe in the independent sector when okay. the government stopped first, but yeah, but it did stop yeah. pretty early. Yeah. yeah. So mm. obviously that's a huge challenge for you personally to be able to deal with that. But what, what are some of the mm. other really big challenges? Um, I, I mean, especially considering um, this is a, a much bigger organization than what you probably originally planned for, right? <laughs> You're yeah. exactly right. You're exactly yeah. right. Um, yeah, I would say corruption is one of the, the biggest challenges. Okay. We've also, or we have started a, a teacher's training college, a nursery teacher's training college for preschool teachers. And yeah. just the, the registration process, um, the expectation there to get things done, you almost need like... Uh, people expect you to pay them on top of their salary if you want anything done. You want to let you know you need a piece of paper written, written or a stamp or anything. They want money. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. It, and we don't want to go down that slippery slope of of paying 
to get things done or being part of corruption. We're trying to be, um, to you know, zero tolerance to corruption. And it's very difficult to do that, um, not only in the NGA sector, but, yeah, ever, I yeah. think, in Uganda. Um, yeah, maybe expectations as well. And I feel expectations probably from, let's say, like larger organisations in the past when mm. uh, I guess you could say we're now in a more of a developing phase in Uganda where um, a few years ago you'd say it was more of a humanitarian need and crisis um, where there would have been a lot of handout aid and a lot of emergency relief. But now it's more development, but everyone has got used to getting paid to do things. So if you call a meeting, you will pay everybody to come to that meeting, but we're not going to pay people to come to learn. We offer that service. We do offer it for free, but we're not going to give out money to learn. Um, And that is quite a a cultural change and a cultural challenge. Mm, Um, That that would be very hard to deal with. And I've, I've, I've heard that, um, that sort of thing is very common in most developing nations as well, not just Uganda. Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. It is quite hard. Mm. Yeah. Well, but obviously, though, you wouldn't be doing it now after all these mm-hmm. years if there hadn't been some highlights. What do you think is the biggest highlight for you? You're exactly right. I think the highlights is definitely seeing children learn to read um which is amazing and actually yesterday we just finished a week-long training uh it was one of the best trainings that we did and we had teachers come up from other parts of the country and at the end there was one teacher she cried a lot (laughs) during the training she was about to retire and as as she was um as she was like giving a thank you speech she she got down on her knees because she wanted to be respectful to us And then, and she said, like, you know, this is our Uganda culture. Like, we would respect you in this way. And she said that her first salary, she's going to spend her whole salary on buying books for her school. (laughs) How wonderful. Yeah, I know. And she's (laughs) just been challenged and transformed, she was saying. And she, she said she wanted to almost go to confession because she feels like she hasn't been teaching the children well. Um, but it was just beautiful to see like her life almost had been changed and now she was definitely going to go back a different person and teach differently. It was, wow. it was lovely. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of tears in the room yesterday, but it was oh. beautiful. Yeah. And that the, sounds those beautiful. things happened. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was quite special. Yeah. I guess, um, part of the biggest role that you have is inspiring people to want to teach and teach in a certain yes. way as well. So it sounds like you're doing that too. Yeah, exactly. To inspire them to teach differently and to even value stories and reading. Often storybooks are not valued. They're considered maybe like a distraction. Yeah. Um, textbooks are definitely valued. I don't, know, I don't know how this has happened, but most schools here feel that textbooks are the only way that children are going to pass exams. So in your libraries at school, you might have a few textbooks, but you will find next to no storybooks. So trying to shift that thinking and that storybooks are valuable in many ways. Um, yeah, so that's, that's yeah. a journey as well. Yeah, okay. Mm. So what advice would you give to anyone, teacher or not, mm-hmm. if they're looking at working internationally um, in the education field, especially in a, in a developing country like Uganda? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe what I'm going to say could be slightly harsh, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
if you want to work as as a teacher, I feel you need to be a teacher. Okay. And and I think sometimes, and I've seen it a lot here, where people would come out to work in a school and you're not a teacher. Yeah. And I think we would never allow that to happen back in Australia or in the Oh, no, you're right. Like, you, you must have the training. And, and even if you're not a teacher, you should definitely get some form of like teaching qualification before coming out here. I think that's quite important. Consider coming for a longer period of time. Like if you want to come for two weeks or three weeks, you're not going, you're not going to change anything. Um, mm. And you shouldn't even want to change anything because you wouldn't understand culture or the environment that you're visiting. I think it's very important to have a period of just observing and just seeing what it's like in the, in the system, in the education system and what the culture is like before then getting involved in, in teaching or in a school and possibly spending at least one year um, as a commitment rather than a few weeks or a couple of months. I feel one year minimum um, because it takes time. It takes time to adjust to a different culture and, and to learn the ways of a new culture. Uh, yeah, and to be even respected by the local people. And then only when you learn, um, can you then make an impact and, and teach? Yeah. 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 That's, um, it's really interesting actually, because it sort of makes me think about um, some of the stuff I've read about volunteerism and, um, yes. <laughs> and the damage it can do over long term. But really, I mean, for you uh, and your husband, you've been there for what's eight or nine years, right? Yeah, eight, this is our eighth year here. Yes. Eighth year. So how long do you think it really took you to understand the culture? I would say I, I taught first for a year and a half in a primary school and that was my training ground. Yeah, <laughs> I was volunteering okay. as a teacher and then after that it was the perfect platform when I started Read for Life. I didn't, I didn't expect to start it. It was just what happened naturally. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah. A year was definitely like the, the training ground. Yeah. And but you're right you, about the whole, yeah, sorry. sorry. You I was just going to say, did you expect to be there for that long at the start? Like a year, a no, year and a half? No, not at all. I think we expected to be here two years and we're still here eight years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, you obviously love it, which is great. <laughs> yeah, we oh, do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. So how can um, listeners to this podcast help support Read for Life Uganda? Um, I'd say the, the biggest way would be if you wanted to support some of our training financially or employing our, our trainers um, to fund part of their salaries. And you could go onto our website, readforlifeug.org, and make yeah. some donations there. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, if you wanted to donate your services, maybe help out with the website or, or do some fundraising or something back home, that would also be fantastic. And you can get in touch with me as well. Yeah. Oh, that's excellent. So I've actually read on um, your website that 10 or $20 will help to improve the literacy skills of up to 10 and 20 children respectively in Northern Uganda in the coming mm -hmm. year. $50 will provide one teacher in Uganda with literacy training and follow-up support for one year. And $200 mm -hmm. will do the same for nursery and primary teachers in one school. And that's not a lot of money, but it goes a long way by the looks of it. Yeah, it does. It does go a long way, which is great. And a little can make a big difference when you're talking about teacher training and training other teachers. Yeah. yeah which is fantastic. Yeah. It's um, some really wonderful work that you're doing there. And um, remember, if you do want to support Read for Life Uganda, you can do that at their website, which is readforlifeug.org. 
Um, so thank you again so much, Jody, for being part of the show today. You're welcome, Danny. Thanks yeah, for letting uh, me come on. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I really hope our listeners have gained a valuable insight into the work that you do and why it's so important. For me, it's been really interesting learning a lot more about it because, you know, through emails and through Facebook that you send out, you know, I know little bits, but um, I don't think I really understood it as much as what you've just described it. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, I'll oh, put, good. yeah, I'll put the link for Read for Life Uganda in the description to this episode. Um, but if you have any questions for Jody or myself about today's episode, or if you think you'd like to be part of the podcast, drop me a line at dan at ponderingdan.com. Um, any emails for Jody, I'll forward on to her, or like Jody's already said, you can contact her through the website too. Um, but once again, thank you, Jody. Any parting words? Thank you. <laughs> um, that's a good question. Parting words is maybe consider your impact on your community. And I think something that I said yesterday during a training to our trainers is the biggest question always is what are the children learning? And maybe that's what we need to ask all the time, even in, when you're involved in charity work, in education or in your own classroom, yeah. what are they learning? Is their yeah. learning happening? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, really good. Thanks so much, Jody. Um, you're welcome. Until next time, everybody, I'm Danny. See you later.